0: Welcome to DC Signal to Noise on this Friday. I'm John Harreth alongside pro-farmers Jim Wiesmeyer who separates the signal and the noise for us. And Jim, a lot to sift through this week uh, appreciate you joining us and as always as we've been mentioning we've been doing this uh recording this podcast live on facebook live at the agritalk facebook page so if you want to join in on the conversation uh next week and ask us a question live you can do that at the uh, agritalk facebook page at 2 p.m eastern 1 p.m central on every friday afternoon so let's get down to it jim sure um well, let's just start off with uh what ended up being a uh as as different as everything was, it ended up being a very calm and a very normal, in many ways, inauguration this week.
1: Well, that'll show you what 25,000 at least troops will do for you and the barricades, etc. So uh, <clears throat> I'm glad we didn't have any major developments, both <clears throat> not just in Washington, but at the state capitals either. It was a relatively quiet day, John.
0: Yeah, it really was, um, and uh, quiet in terms of uh, you know what we expected might happen um, uh, with protest or anything else. Uh, on that inauguration day but then the Biden administration really hit the ground running they'd been doing some work uh, behind the scenes leading up to that making sure that they had 17 executive orders ready to sign that first evening
1: yeah it was a record number of executive orders for a president's first day in office so he's already set a record there and it does show uh he followed through on what he was saying during the campaign and much like uh uh what obama said he was going to do and trump said he was going to do they're delivering at least in the executive order process uh john that's not codified into law as we're seeing the flip-flops of a lot of uh you know trump policy that he made uh, through either regulations or executive orders
0: yeah indeed and um You know, and you're seeing how quickly uh, the Biden administration is trying to reverse a lot of those executive orders that the Trump administration put in place. And that shows, as you point out, some of the peril of doing these things by executive order rather than codifying them in regulation. Um, But these these initial executive orders really show us what the priorities are for this incoming Biden administration. What signals do you see from what we've seen come out of that office so far?
1: Well, the signals are, and you're going to see it next week, too, because they're going to have a whole day on the climate uh, change. You saw some indications of his mm-hmm. Energy and climate change this week, but they're going to follow through next week in a big way. I think uh, the, uh, you know Biden's going to announce a U.S.-based uh, climate summit on, uh, agri- on uh, Earth Day, what the 22nd of uh, April. Uh, but his initial ones dealt with uh, those sensitive areas, uh, you know, uh, in the immigration area, in in the some some. Uh, 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 pipeline uh, uh, areas and things like that, and he and uh, he he has hit the ground running. And his overall tone of his inauguration, John, was uh, unity. Now, and and he even mentioned the spread between the urban and the rural, uh, the uncivil war that has gone on. So uh, that was interesting. But I caught a one-liner in the New York Times that said, what's Biden's meaning of unity? And the Times defined it as, to Biden and his team, they said unity does not mean a concession or splitting the difference on policy initiatives. It means a renewed commitment to the broadest values of America. Hmm. Well, that raises questions. Uh, Whose who's broadest values? You know, uh, But again, uh, that, that's the overarching thing. And, and it's going to be, I hope he succeeds in unifying America, but there's hurdles galore because of the uh, animosity between the two major political parties and, and groups. Uh, that we've seen. And so the hurdles are there. And I hope, you know, Biden realizes that, but uh, he's also in his initial uh, executive orders uh, that didn't truly reflect uh, putting out olive branches that I could see. I'm not saying he's wrong or anything like that, but it's not a conciliatory uh, framework. He's going to be quite aggressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah indeed and they know their their time is limited as most presidents know coming in um and, and to be quite honest a president that very likely is going to be uh one term if for no other reason than age um so th- they know their their time there as i said is limited uh, terry commenting here and i assume this is in reference to the keystone xl pipeline uh he has forty two thousand jobs lost on his first day i'm not yeah, I can't verify that number, but uh, I it's appreciate a chunk the of jobs. Sentiment. Yeah, it, it is a chunk of jobs. Um, I, I will say that that pipeline has been, its future has been in question even without this uh, uh, this executive order by uh, President Biden. There's been challenges all along the way, um, so it, it's it's not uh, a. a, a it's not totally unexpected that this has come. Oh, but not with is any
1: Democrat. A- no, but but it is ten percent of our oil production, and it's uh, around fifty percent of all the oil imports into the United States. And and as I've said before, this just means more emphasis that we're going to import have to import more oil, uh, that same type of oil you know perhaps from Venezuela and Russia some adversaries there so uh, you know it from a geopolitical stance it doesn't make sense and even the pipeline, well, and, and I, from
0: a relationship stance with with Canada, with Canada. That doesn't make sense either.
1: Yeah, and there's as we, as Sean Haney told us this morning, uh, Trudeau, uh, you know, talked to Biden about it before the inauguration, and now apparently they're talking again today. But you're not going to change, you know, you, you know that announcement where even the pipeline people tried to come into the center ground. Now, where's the unity there again? Uh, By saying that they would allow labor union people to work and some labor unions in the United States did not want to see this pipeline excluded but from Obama on, this thing was not going to go. And we had several state tests in the courts, uh, John, mm-hmm. if you recall. Uh, yep. Nebraska, Montana, I know there was another state. And you're, you're going to see this. We've seen it in the, in the, in the years, uh, most recent years. And I think it's going to continue litigation at the state level. And, you know, look at the pesticides. Look at, dic- you know, dicamba. Uh, that was a state litigated uh, issue. So we're, we're going to see this more often than not.
0: Well, and also it's a signal that it's nearly impossible to get a significant pipeline that crosses state lines done uh, anymore in the United States because of that state-by-state litigation yep, so and, right. and, and, and what we've seen now happen on, on the federal arena on this. So um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what may happen with the, uh, well, what we've seen with history with the relationship between the administrations and rural America and specifically agriculture and what we may see from the Biden administration. And, And correct me if I'm wrong here, Jim, but I think you'd have to go back to Ronald Reagan to see a president who embraced agriculture specifically in rural America in general as much as Donald Trump did. Now, I don't know that Donald Trump really understood agriculture and the details of it, but certainly embraced agriculture fully and acknowledged agriculture in a way
1: that hadn't been done as I said since probably Ronald Reagan. Oh there's no doubt. I, I, I for the copy, uh Trump said more words about agriculture far more than Reagan did. Uh now some of it was forced on him by his own actions relative to the challenge of china i think he should have challenged china but we have to have those trade mitigation programs and then interestingly uh something that was out of his control uh is the uh, covid aid and in working with congress they came up with a lot of money what uh, total the uh, trade mitigation and the covid uh payments uh, it can round to 50 billion dollars that's that's you know, you know, that's a lot of money. When it came to uh, biofuel program, uh, you heard a split uh, decision relative to uh, uh, Trump. And let's bridge this into your initial question, uh, the Biden's role in the rural sector. And I'll even bring in soon to be again, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack. Remember when he left USDA after the Obama administration, he helped uh, uh, wanting to get the Democrats to expand the tent in the rural countryside. And uh, so now that he's coming in, I don't think he's left that there. So I think they're going to continue to try, uh, try to find uh, back alleys. And they know the majority of rural voters are not going to vote on the Democratic side, but you don't need that many in order to make a difference. And, and one of the areas, John, could be the biofuels uh, area.
0: Yeah, which um, you know, uh, EPA uh, areas were something that were a sticking point for agriculture in the Obama administration. They continue to be in the Trump administration. So it will it, it will be interesting to see if um, Tom Vilsack, working with with Michael Regan. Um, at EPA can, can change that dynamic and, and in particular, as you pointed out, look at biofuels as a solution to some of the carbon challenges that this administration is trying to take on.
1: Yes, and build it into their uh, uh, strategy that they will have relative to climate change and what role will biofuels play. They can play a big role in that as far as their best practices, uh, carbon credits, octane levels, and things like that. So that, that'll be an interesting one to watch out. But in the biofuels area, I, I tried to figure out why EPA did what they did that 11th hour in, in uh, doing the three waivers. And it was just like a shot across the bow. Why do that? You know, but and then of course with this litigous uh, society, uh, it was appealed. Uh, they, they sought an appeal, a stay, if you will, on uh, you know via the U.S. Court of Appeals for the, D, uh, the D.C. D, uh, uh, circuit. Uh, so here we go again. I mean, the uh, the best employment uh, program I've seen for lawyers is the biofuel programs. <laughs>
0: Indeed, they did get that stay. They did. Uh, so those those three uh, waivers are not going to go into effect until it's reviewed. And EPA
1: has until February 3rd to respond to that motion. And the replies right. are due by the court, what, February 10th.
0: Right. Um, but getting back to this notion of, of the administration and, and its relationship with rural America, um, I, I think we do need to go back and look at history a little bit and look at uh, that relationship between the Obama administration and rural America that really... Uh, led to the strong relationship between rural America and the Trump administration in that there was a sense um, that that rural American agriculture uh, was sometimes not even an afterthought in uh, the crafting of regulation in the Obama administration, probably most notably in the waters of the U.S. rule, um, where f- farmers were told, we can't even tell you if your land, is, if your water, if water on your land is subject to WOTUS, um, without a, a study from the Corps of Engineers. Well, come on. And, and that, that frustration over that relationship and, and lack of acknowledgement of the needs of rural America, I think, really led to uh, the strong rural support for Donald Trump. Would, would you agree, Jim?
1: Yes, it got into emotions as well. And it was significantly uh, unfunded mandates that cost a number yeah. of farmers a lot of money, if you recall. Absolutely. And, 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 and that did lead to the beginning of very raw nerves between the Obama side and many in the rural sector.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the Biden administration learned lessons from that. We have some indications that they have um, hearing from John Doggett. Uh, we talked to a couple of weeks ago on here, the CEO of the National Growers Association said he's never seen outreach from an incoming administration like this uh, dating back to uh, the Reagan years. Um, so there, there are signs that um, this administration has an open ear to rural America in a way that hasn't been there in some previous administrations.
1: Yes, and you mentioned Michael uh, you know, Reagan, the incoming EPA administrator uh, you know, from you know North Carolina. And uh, the farm groups came out and very much support him because of his experience in working particularly with the pork producers uh, group in North Carolina. So uh, that could be the initial test. So you bring in Michael Reagan, not only from a, uh, from a regulatory side in dealing with agriculture, but also with the cl- coming climate change. And of mm-hmm. course the EPA's role in the future RFS, de- Renewable Fuel Standard Program you know, decisions. Uh, so at least they're building a force that uh, already, uh, John, that, that uh, at least uh, giving signals that they want to cooperate rather than attack like they did sometimes before.
0: I've right, got a, a question uh, coming in here from Gary that's going to lead into a, another conversation that's on the list. Uh, Gary asking about, Andy, talk about picking up the tab for school lunches after this year. Very popular among school aged parents, just saying. And that has been a key um, in this uh, COVID period that USDA has been aggressive in providing school lunches, not just for those who qualified under the previous program, but making uh, sure that there was funding for school lunches for everyone um, to be either picked up while school was being conducted remotely or um, they're in person uh, now as schools start to return. So, Absolutely. Um, Jim, any talk about expanding or, or continuing that program as it is?
1: The, it, their, uh, the the Democratic Party 101, it's almost in their bloodline to do whatever they uh, can regarding increasing funding for, for food and nutrition. And of course that goes into the a uh, snap program or you know food stamps, pandemic EBT it's called that goes to students uh, uh, who would have qualified for those reduced school meals if not free if have they been uh, at school been in session, John. but yes, they, if if they get an initiative in uh, at the White House or USDA and Congress, uh, they're going to put it up the you know, flag, you know flagpole, John.
0: Well, in fact, we saw an executive order today that does extend those uh, pandemic uh, SNAP benefits um, and even uh, adds to
1: them. And a reassessment. They're going to take a look at USDA's thrifty food plan to for determining SNAP benefits. So they're, they're going to look at the, the requirements. So that's all goes in the process of expanding eligibility for food and nutrition benefits. Uh, that's Democratic Credo 101. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, Let's uh, turn to these uh, key announcements that we've been seeing rolling out from USDA. They've announced uh, a number of staff, um, a a lot of people who have been in Democratic infrastructure before, but not really, uh, as we've seen in the past, um, key uh, ag policy and industry leaders that have been out in the public um, outside of Tom Vilsack so far.
1: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I like to point out the deputy secretary. They did announce her pretty quickly. Jewel uh, yeah. Bronow. Now she's right now she's the Virginia Ag Commissioner. I think it's interesting of her background because she was a former state executive director in the Farm Service Agency. So I think b- that bodes her quite well, just as a signal to a lot of farmers that if you know about those complex programs, and she had to mm-hmm. uh, have known being a, a SED uh and she also was at the virginia state university uh, headed the school of agriculture you know down there uh so she knows the educational process and one of her passion areas is rural health matters mental health matters so she brings a a, yeah she brings a pretty good pedigree uh, there so i i think that was a good sign of her of her comprehensiveness that she brings into that role and as i keep on saying john i think the top level people her included should be looked at very carefully because i personally see vilsack as a transition ag secretary perhaps in a few years going to either another position uh, in the Biden administration, or either outside again, uh, don't rule him out for a run for the Senate. If Gra- especially if Grassley doesn't run, right? Uh, so it, it's that areas, and so you you look at those other people. The only one that I wanted to also make sure I mentioned is Mike S- Smith. He's senior advisor in the Undersecretary for uh, you know Farm Production and Conservation. He used to work with, uh, you know, Debbie Stabenow, and and he used to be in the Farm Service Agency. And as John Newton of Farm Bureau told us, he knows how to get checks out. He knows the process. So I think maybe we can get an acceleration of that, of the $2.3 $2.3 billion and the uh, uh, the D- December 21st, uh, you know, program that we saw that Congress passed that for right now they have to change the computer softwares and getting the regulations out, but he could speed that up.
0: Yeah, indeed. And, and those two key ties to FSA, as we've seen in the past year and two years in particular. FSA could really make or break an administration at USDA. Um, there are some challenges there, mostly technology, as some of it's been addressed. But um, really, I, I think the staff of FSA makes up for a lot of uh, other inadequacies in the structure at FSA as, as far as the, the technology and, and the other uh, equipment that they need there uh and i think you'd agree to that jim that that really the the staff overperforms at fsa and has really helped um usda look pretty good in some of these disbursements overcoming the challenges as those offices have faced
1: absolutely let's hope now maybe we can get a consistent response from the new FSA regarding a topic we almost cover here on a weekly basis. Update on <laughs> whip plus yep. payments because yep. I, the emails I keep getting and calls from pro farmer members, they that some of them have received the second fifty percent whip plus payouts, and then I said, and then others tell me they have not, and they check with their FSA office, and they go, no, they can't get them yet. Uh, So I asked verbatim, a USDA official, give me the words to say, and here's what we were told. The current policy is to, quote, continue to pay producers on the register, the first 50% of WIP Plus, then pay the quality payments, you know, those applications, if Mm -hmm. if approved, and then see how much money is left for the other 50% on WIP Plus when we put out that the other day on uh, profarmer.com, I knew the emails were going to come saying, well, some states are paying that extra 50%. So is there different rules for states? So I've asked that question, and I don't have a response to that one. So we we still have a checkerboard pattern uh, on this one, unless I'm not seeing something that I should.
0: Uh, all right, so we continue The to funding there. is there.
1: The funding yeah. is there. And if it's not there, you're going to see it added on. Those payments will eventually be made. That's your bottom line. It may be frustrating. It may be that your particular state or county office is so far behind for legitimate reasons, or they may be faced with a COVID-impacted uh, uh, staff as far as they can't get caught up, things like that. There are reasons why some, uh, some counties are are more accelerated than others so that's all i'll say on that subject now well but let's not forget though that this is going back to some disasters in 2018 we 2018 2019 yes yeah. and then it got to a point where they didn't need more money but we got that in the december 21st thing uh, 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 i think a billion and a half dollars i know a minimum of a billion dollars so i don't really think it's a funding issue even though they're saying well we have to make sure that money is left over for the other fifty per cent on whip plus um I'm not hearing that from the funding people in the uh, in the House and Senate that uh, people staffers who who worked on this subject John so uh, th- th- they just need to clear the decks on this program it has not been um, uh, I think this was the whipping boy this was the last thing they considered Fun and that intended. they need yeah they yeah <laughs> they knew they need to regroup on on this program it has not been implemented uh, you know very well at all
0: All right, well, let's turn to a couple other programs. As you hinted, we got a little bit of an update from John Newton from the American Farm Bureau Federation this morning on Ag Talk, uh, let, Let's start with 2.3 billion that was left over from uh, CFAP1 and CFAP2. Uh, USDA, as we know, put out a new program targeted mostly towards uh, contract growers, mostly uh, uh, pork and poultry. Uh, the uh, application for that is open right now. I think yes. it runs through towards the end of next month. And yes, uh, Jim, that should really be fairly, w- once we get through that application, application, Application period that should go out fairly quickly, shouldn't it? Because the mechanism is already there.
1: Yeah, it it is, and that's two point three. Now the primarily, what did John say? Ninety one percent is for contract poultry and and hog producers. Ninety one percent of that money. So, but yes, they just now it could the the it opened up the you know sign up opened up January nineteenth. So they're ready to roll. USDA knows how to do that program, and they'll grease it now.
0: Now, what is in question or not in question, but we don't know the timeline yet or fully the mechanism is that what some 13 billion dollars in the latest coronavirus uh, aid package that was passed last month, um, which includes some uh, direct per acre payments, but more do we know about that at this point, Jim? That's
1: the $20 an acre. Now, what we've been told in the past, and Newton didn't have any uh, update other than maybe with Biden's people coming into FSA, uh, Stabenow's person, maybe we can get an acceleration of that. The initial indications that USDA has been telling us is that these payments should be made by the end of March, end of end of the first quarter, if not Early the second quarter. Now, that's the official timeline that they're giving out. Maybe they can speed the process once these uh, new people are, are, are coming in. But they have to write new software. They have to test it and And then they they're they're doing the regulation since they did change uh, another uh, a number of things and the plus up and the, uh, you know, twenty dollars an acre and things like that. So, uh, it's coming again and and that's a, uh, a combined, that's a chunk of change that will be put out this calendar year, John. Mm-hmm. That $2.3 billion and these additional funds from December 21st legislation, that that's going to make farm income, uh, coupled with the relatively much better prices we've seen for corn soybeans wheat cotton and some livestock not all uh that's going to lift up that farm income to a level that uh, we wouldn't have thought three months ago uh, looking at from 2020 you know net farm income versus this year so that's a good thing even though we've had a downturn the last two days i think we were down 49 cents soybeans the last time i looked today
0: yeah, I was gonna whisper you may not want to be saying it today, but yeah. <laughs> uh, on the trend. We're, Markets we're have to our, breathe. Markets have to breathe. All right. Uh Bradley asks, are prevent plants twenty, twenty acres covered in that twenty dollars per acre payments.
1: Mm, I Do think we know we, that yet? I don't think we know that yet. We're waiting for the rules and regulate. that's another thing. We're waiting for the rules and regulations
0: on yeah, that. So we'll have to see what uh, a you but it's
1: usually planted and considered planted so if they go on history to me it should although you can never double dip so you'd have to subtract what you got usually they say you have to subtract what you've already received as a benefit because there should be no double dipping
0: okay All right. well we will double check that when we do get the uh, yes. rules and regulations uh, for that uh, for that payment program um, we have talked, Jim, at length at your point about you know, the ag economy is in a better position going into 2021 than we would have thought even just three months ago. Um, as we pointed out repeatedly, uh, USDA says 36%, a little north of 36% of farm income came from government payments in 2020. Um, that is not expected to continue with ad hoc payments in 2021 and beyond, which l- left some concern because um, while markets are picking up part of that gap. They're not going to pick up all of it. Um, we have talked before that uh, USDA and Congress may look at the Commodity Credit Corporation and carbon credit payments as a way to make up some of that. Anything new developing on that?
1: Uh, on what? Uh, you know, developing on what now?
0: Uh, using uh, Commodity Credit Corporation to make oh. uh, carbon credit payments.
1: No, nothing new, but, but stay tuned because uh, uh, not just U.S., uh, ag, ag sector interest, but a number of outside of USDA is looking at that Commodity Credit Corporation Charter Act. I would look for developments of p- potential changes once we get into two things. A budget reconciliation bill, which we eventually we're going to have uh, for this fiscal year that ends at the end of this September. Uh, and it's coming in the next uh, year, month or so, probably. And then various appropriation bills uh, that they'll open up, especially USDA, that uh, you're going to see some attempts by both political parties to amend the CCC Charter Act, uh, usually for their gain, John. I did want to update. I was looking when you were asking the question. Farm Bureau sent a letter dated January the 21st, yesterday, this is live here, relative to prevent plant. the financial support for acres prevented from being planted will ensure farmers have financial resources to recover from COVID-related damages. For these reasons, we, meaning Farm Bureau, urge USDA to make both planted acres and acres prevented from being planted eligible for additional COVID-19 relief payments. So that mm-hmm. tells me it's still up in the air, but Farm right. Bureau is urging that they, you know, be made, okay?
0: All right. And I would think that with the funding available, that would certainly uh, there would certainly be funding to to include the PP acres in that payment program. I would think so. Yes. All right. Well, since we're talking about uh, Farm Bureau, shall we break into their thoughts sure. on the National Ag Statistics Service? Sure. Sure. Yeah, Farm Bureau uh, had a four month study. They had a 10 member commission look at. Uh, the Nationalized Statistics Service, and their reports made a number of recommendations that really kind of boil down to two things, Jim. One is they want increased transparency. They want things such as um, forums across the country where NASA is essentially a a mock lockup for groups to see how the process runs. They want uh, peer reviews by land-grant universities of the reporting that uh, not all of it, but some of the occasional reporting that uh, USDA NAS does. They want, if there is, say, a, a weather event that happens after the data is collected, it impacts the numbers that are being reported. They want at least there to be a note there. John Newton said on Agritalk this morning, they'd even want a mechanism for USDA to delay that reporting um, if there is a, a significant event that dramatically changes the outcome of that reporting. Um, and then on the flip side, they want... Um, increase in use in technology at nas um, you know more satellite data uh, more digging into existing data sets at usda to uh, form those reports um, i got a, a quick response from nas last night that basically said hey we're already working on and implementing a number of these things um, and, and we appreciate the input from from farm bureau and we'll continue to work with them um does anything come of this jim
1: uh, i think it will because you know uh, i applaud farm bureau for bringing this out you know for bringing this out because they've been hearing from a lot of their members as we have at pro farmer ever since the summer more than a few farmers said the crop isn't there the crop isn't there and i know uh, agritalk had Lance anig uh, on and i uh, thought he defended as much as he could the the nas you know methodology However, uh, there should be more transparency. Uh, I know that they want to improve NASAs. Uh, d- You've got to rebuild the trust in the farming community because it's not to the level that it was just a few years ago, John. And and also Farm Bureau said, most importantly, farmers need to provide NAS with accurate information. Mm-hmm. So it goes hand in hand. I think the most intriguing aspect was, you know, some of the things you said. Use real time technology such as remote sensing. If you have a major event. Uh, after the survey was taken and you can try to gauge the impact and maybe build that in now I know that's easier said than done I'm not quite sure about not putting out a report because what the market does is the surveys USDA takes is tries to be at the first of the month if I recall or thereabout, and so that we can adjust of even though the number is not maybe accurate the day was put out it serves as a base of which to either increase or decrease, depending on the weather and and other events. But I think USDA should should, uh, put a little more copy in to explain uh, what they did and how they did it. In particular, I thought the biggest uh, news... Out of AgriTalks interview with Haney at at, uh, at NAS was the grain stocks report because they and where Haney said it wasn't the on farm stocks it was the off farm stocks right. the commercial ones that raises questions because they they should have a pretty good data check on the commercial side why was the commercial sector so off in reporting to NAS uh, he didn't address that. And so no, that's I'm, what I'm 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 asking that question now. That's a significant uh, issue to me of why the commercial sector just uh, fell down in their reporting. Well, you know what reasons were there, and that should be looked at because huge differences in the grain stocks. Uh, you know, report that we saw.
0: Yeah, indeed. And was it was it just was it off for some reason, or was it held back, and and reported later? Um, you know, either by by fate or by you know uh, on purpose
1: yeah I'm, well, I, I'm not talking about any potential skullduggery but you got to rule that out however right you know it just jumped when i saw it i, I wrote this i read the story on agweb.com and then i listened to the tape i go ooh, that's that's a storyline there that that i want to get uh in, involved with so you know, we have some follow-up, you know, questions going on. And then, as I mentioned, uh, the cotton number, I, I, if, if you would have talked to anyone in cotton country, especially Texas, you would have known early on that USDA was not only high, uh, too high on the cotton crop, they were very high, you know. Uh, and one of the best cotton people I know, who I can't name, uh when I asked this per- person to respond, he said, I'm not sure if COVID-19 prevented NAS from doing as many objective surveys or not. Mm. The fact of stopping district numbers in Texas just added to the problem as if we had known what they were showing for the high and rolling planes we could have easily identified and weighed in on those numbers. As it was just a state number, we could only assume where the issue was. So there's transparency that USDA suddenly, arbitrarily, I was told, uh, last year decided to change uh, their system uh, relative to cotton. Uh, we need it by district. And as Farm Bureau reported in, in their excellent uh. Yeah, uh, uh, uh Recommendations. If more funding is needed, they'll help push for that because this is just too important uh, not to get uh, the best numbers we po- estimates. We uh, the best ones we can get out of NAS because I've I used to be a beat reporter and used to call in those reports under lockup went into lockup and and a lot of effort goes into this I just think it needs to be improved now and to uh, first some key changes because you don't want to get the farm sector not believing you know those numbers it's hard enough the way it is and you'd want these USDA numbers to come out because if they w- were not put out for, from USDA that would give other people a step in the uh, a jump up because they'll have the ability to, to pay the private industry to do their own surveys.
0: Yeah, if no, the farm sector doesn't believe the numbers. That just makes the numbers even uh, less accurate because there's less uh, participation from the farming community in that which is key to the accurate numbers. Absolutely. Uh, and, and if I can make a couple of observations on this one, I know there's all kinds of stuff swirling around the Internet every year about uh, you know speculating that there's some conspiracy to change the numbers. I can tell you flat out that is not true. That doesn't happen. USDA, for better or for worse, follows the data that is in front of them. A lot of people complained about that in the 2019 growing season, all growing season long, but it turned out following the data was the right thing. In 2019, despite what everybody said, they had the crop number pretty dead on all through the year. The same cannot be said for 2020, Um, particularly the November data to go to a 3.8 bushel per acre drop in corn yield from November to January signals to me that there was something wrong with that November data. There was something, and Lance Honig on Agritalk said they went back and looked at, didn't find any anomalies. But it still says to me there, there was something wrong in that because you've, okay, there's a little bit of harvest still going on in November, but it was mostly done yes. for that November survey. So um, there is no reason to have that big a, an historic difference in yield between November and January, so I think they should go back and look more closely at where that disparity took place. I know Land said that they had so many more surveys for the January. Oh, you know, they had ten times surveys. More surveys. Yeah, yes. ten times the surveys for January than they did for November. Still. Why was that November number so far off, and what can you do to improve it yes. for 2022 and beyond?
1: And to be fair on NAS, I, I know Chip pointed out that that NAS in the in the monthly reports was either at or below the mm-hmm. low end of the private trade estimates. So they they had the right trend, but they were significantly still overstating, you know, the size of the uh, crops.
0: Yeah, indeed. So. Um, and again, you know, you know, we're, we're talking about all this, that, that the is pushing to, uh, and more embrace the use of technology. Uh, NAS has been moving that way. They've been using more and more satellite imagery yes. in particular in, in doing these surveys. They've also been doing some parallel work to, you know, look at technology that might be used in the surveys, but isn't currently, but look how, if they use that data, how it would impact. The survey. So they're they're doing the work towards that. I think Farm Bureau just wants to see that accelerated and
1: broadened. Two, two other points. It, there, as I've said before, John, they're statisticians. They, they, they look at the survey. They want to do a good job. It's not that they, they come into this saying, oh, we want to do a very bad job. No, mm-hmm. they have pride in what they're doing. It's just like we as journalists, we want our stories to be as accurate as possible. We don't go into it hoping for fake news, you know. But the second one is... Many in the private industry have weekly or either sometimes daily crop estimates. Well, the USDA does not have the luxury of that because they do the monthly survey. So always remember that audience that uh, USDA is a base is a sta- uh, a placeholder, if you will, as of the beginning of the month and it it's it's easy to make a pot shot if you want to, but it's better be a fair one. Uh because if you have a middle of the month estimate that that's that's comparing apples and oranges so I, I I know that that that's not adequately reported enough that if you frequently do updates and many analysts do, and I don't blame them on a weekly basis, USDA doesn't do that,
0: yeah. I got uh, just a few minutes left, so if there's something you want us to uh, answer or talk about, uh, don't forget to drop a note in the comments section there. Um, a couple things I want to get to uh, still on the list Jim, before we go, and that is the uh, get more details where we stand with that COVID aid and um, update on China. Let's start with the uh, COVID aid, the $1.9 trillion uh, proposal that the Biden administration is going to put before Congress. Um already signals that 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 dollar amount, at least, is not going to stand as it is. Um, Will we get something through, and what has to change in order to get it through?
1: Well, eventually, yes, you will get something through. That's that's for sure. We don't see the unity, however, on this issue. A number of uh, Republican senators, uh, moderate uh, and others, are saying "Eh, that $1.9 trillion is too top-heavy. On that one, and they don't like some of the features. The 350 billion dollars for uh, uh, state and local uh, uh, aid that uh, that they think is just uh, you know bailing out some bad decisions on New York City, Chicago, California, etc. So it's going to go one of two ways, John. If if efforts to get a consensus, to try to get unity from both sides, both sides, on this one over the I think the next week to ten days, uh. Then the votes won't be there, so they'll have to skinny it down uh, in order to segment it. But if the Democrats don't want to do that, then they'll hold it off. They they may even have a vote and not have it, you know, be and have it be defeated in the Senate if if they want to. But I don't think that they should do that but if they don't have the votes then they'll wait and roll the covid aid into a budget reconciliation bill that is coming but it looks like that could be uh, around the march time frame because that's when we're going to get other aspects why well, you know what about budget reconciliation you only need a majority vote in the senate right. and not the 60 votes that's why the budget reconciliation process is is another option that the democrats can and will use if they have
0: to articles of impeachment go to the senate on monday does that throw a monkey wrench in those negotiations for uh covet aid
1: well it's the the attitude the feelings the emotions the pent-up anger you know that doesn't solve Anything and what we said before that that uh, you know Biden I, I think legitimately so said he, he the country needs to be unified this is not an approach to unify the country so but now what can happen is they're going to have a split day in the Senate Uh, in the morning they can uh, do legislation, uh, nominations, etc. That's plenty of time and then in the afternoon or vice versa they can do the uh, hearings relative to the controversial uh, impeachment uh, uh, article because there's there's uh, constitutional questions whether or not uh, they can even do that uh, to a non-sitting president. Democrats say yes, Republicans say no. So you've already no, there, got there fractures some, right there.
0: Yeah, there is some precedent for it, but I agree with what you said on talk on this morning. It probably will be subject to judicial review. Uh, eventually, even there, there is a yes. some precedent for it.
1: Yes. So, so that's where we're at. Yes, they can do two things at, at, on the same day, John. And maybe the Senate uh, can be in five days a week like most Americans work. You know, rather than their three days a week, maybe they shouldn't fly home or fly wherever uh, on the weekend for a while. Do some work.
0: Indeed. All right. Last thing on my list that I wanted to hit was uh, an an update on China Um, and Eric, our producer, if you could throw up that graphic first. Uh, This is from John Newton, who we've been talking about a lot and talked about last week. In fact, I would encourage you. You see his uh, uh, Twitter handle on there. It's at new 10, the number 10, at new10 underscore ag econ. So I would encourage you to follow him for all kinds of great information like this. Um, but Jim, a graphic showing that, uh, you know, we have made great strides in phase one um, ag purchases from China in 2020. Um, and I can't, it's too small for me to see on the screen, but some 20 some. Uh, billion dollars in uh, 2020 still falls short of the 23.8 uh,
1: yeah 23.8
0: yeah, yeah it falls short of the record in 2014 but still a great improvement over the previous couple of years um, what does this tell us Jim are we on the right track with those commitments by China even if they fell short of what they uh, said they would do in 2020
1: Yes. Well, we were on the right track relative to calendar year 2020, which was the first year. Minus, really they didn't get going until February the um, February 15th. And then it really didn't start in earnest until April. So we lost three months time that John, plus uh, the uh, COVID-19 impacts in China, U.S. and around the world and logistics systems, things like that. 60 uh, over uh, over 65 percent of that commitment was met uh yeah i'll take that i'll take that now there's there's issues for uh 2021 where uh it was 30 uh, you know th- uh uh 36 and a half billion dollars for 2020 and then 43.5 billion for 2021 the year we're in that looks a little lofty Number, but uh, at least I think they showed as good as faith as possible. Uh, I know in the beans area, uh, the sorghum area, the hog area, etc., and of course their renewed appetite for us corn i'll take it john Uh, and 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 not just the quantities of purchases that they made cotton and other uh, beef etc but also in those other commitments in the technical area that made trading between the u.s and china uh you know more efficient
0: yeah uh, of course china took some action in the waning days or actually the last day of the trump administration uh, sanctioning some trump officials does that have any impact on the ongoing relationship
1: well, it's it's I think it is a signal that uh, we're into this murky area again uh, the China Watchers pro farmer consults uh, are nervous uh, because mm. uh, they're saying they're seeing an increase in the Chinese literature. They're seeing increased aggressiveness on the part of China's uh, uh, leader, Xi Jinping. Who's flexing muscles? So I think uh, China could be the uh, you know President Biden's first initial geopolitical uh, test. I'm not quite sure how. Uh, but these sanctions were, China says, is tit for tat relative to the uh, uh, you know sanctions that the uh, Trump administration put on them. And they really were rankled with some statements that uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said, where they listed a number of individuals cannot go to China. And of course, right. Mike Pompeo was at the top of the list. But what Biden did was very interesting to show aggressiveness on his part relative to China's one-China policy. He invited a Taiwanese official to his inauguration. Oh, really? Yes, let's just say that more than rankled China. So now the signals have been sent by both countries. So you hope uh, diplomatic channels are in process. I do know that the Chinese papers have said uh, they changed their, uh, uh, their revamping in China their trade negotiation team ahead of possible fresh talks with the Biden administration. Now, that's a good signal if that's mm. the case. So a lot of moving gears here, uh, John. So we'll see. Uh, but I know, uh, I don't know, you, Jawa, the 60, was appointed chief international trade negotiator. It's a, posi- is a position that has been vacant. Uh, Since late 2018. So a lot of changes going on in both countries, John. So we'll see the next step. Let's hope it's talking. You got to talk to avoid any major problems. Biden is not going to lift the uh, existing sanctions, I don't think anytime soon, because he wants to use it as leverage to get whatever Biden and his people want out of uh, potential phase two with China.
0: And just underscores the need to quickly get a Secretary of State and U.S. Trade Representative uh, through the Senate and confirmed and ready to do business.
1: And we should have that next week, I think.
0: Good, good deal. All right. Well, speaking of next week, where are you watching for Signal in the coming week?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm watching. I'll continue to monitor the uh, COVID uh, uh, aid package to see what timelines we're going to have along the lines that we discussed, both th- timelines and process, and to uh, the U.S.-China relations, since that continues to be the the I think biggest geopolitical issue. And the unfolding of other personnel. When when will USDA Secretary Vilsack uh, be confirmed? I, uh, not a question. He will be confirmed. It's when uh, it can. Happen pretty quickly to get it out of the committee and onto the Senate floor. So those are the major things I'm going to, uh, you know, look out for.
0: And I would add to that list. I think key to everything that uh, the U.S. government uh, needs to be doing to free up everything else is see if they can figure out how to more aggressively deliver vaccines next oh, week yes. and overcome the challenges that they've had uh, yes. in their first week in office.
1: You've got to get the vaccines out, the, the amount of vaccines out there, because I finally got a uh, uh, both a phone call and an email from the Virginia Department of Health saying, okay, we got your uh, sign up, uh, but d- d- don't do anything else, because it's going to be a few weeks before we have the necessary volumes of vaccine for you to even sign up for an appointment to get the vaccine. And, and I've heard that from other other people in, in other states. But we have very, uh, you, know, uh, you know, differences in how, how different states have, have uh, you know, reacted to the volume Of vaccines, some are better than others. So I think we're seeing a a scatter shot on this one uh, as well. Uh, And Biden has taken a more national, federal, uh, you know, uh, know, know, perspective under the vaccine program, as opposed to Trump, who left it more to the states. And uh, so just just a difference of you know structure.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, Jim, as always, a real pleasure talking with you this week. We'll do it again next Friday. Okay, we will. All right, that wraps it up for this week's edition of DC Signal to Noise.